0: What's going on, Sarge? Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, hey,
1: thanks for, for having on. me. Thanks for having uh, me.
0: Happy New Years, man.
1: Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, and all that stuff.
0: Twenty years with the NYPD, so I'm sure a large majority of them were at details Times Square. Give me your first New Year retired. What'd you do? And what'd you do two days ago for New Year's? Anything good?
1: Uh, not really. Okay, so I, I did. Um, I think I did the parade, uh, the New Year's Eve festival there about seven times out of the twenty. So I, I did pretty good. Um, Some of them in the beginning, and then once you get promoted, you you start—you know—you start right back at the bottom, and you're right back out there. And then when I was in Cold Case, they scooped us up for that too because they never thought we did anything, so (laughs) they sent us to that too. How about this uh, year? You do anything this year? I I spent it with my folks. Uh, We traveled down. They live in Delaware, so my wife and I went down there. We spent uh, the the, uh, holiday with the uh, with them. So it's been it's been pretty good to see them for a couple of days. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up on Long Island. you know, I was born in Brooklyn and transported immediately out to uh, Nassau County. Uh, my dad was an auto mechanic, and he had to—he was working in Brooklyn at the time, and then he got a job out in Suffolk County, and he moved this all out there. So I, I didn't spend any time in New York City as a, as a kid, but I grew up on Long island. We grew up in Levittown, and uh, I went to the uh, parochial school over there. I went to St. James, and then high school I went to St. Anthony's. And then college, and I went. I went to uh, Nassau Community College my first two years, and then Hofstra the, the last two.
0: And normal childhood, or was there a moment like good guy, bad guy, where you decide to serve and protect the people of New York? A defining moment, or you always want to be a cop, cop,
1: or bust? No, you know it wasn't. Uh, my godfather was a fireman, and he was pretty high up on the, uh, on, the on the food chain up there in in FDNY. And, you know, growing up around him, he only lived down the block and he kind of influenced me a lot towards the civil service thing. So I think my parents would have bet the house that I would have been a fireman. But when the time came, because we're talking 1990, I took the test. There wasn't any firepower test. So my dad was like, you know, we'll just take the police test. I said, all right, that sounds good, too. So I took the police test. and You know, it was one of those quick ones, because if you remember there's a little history behind it there, they, they started with the safe street, safe city. Uh, under Dinkins and so I, I took the test in June of 90 and by June of 92 I was hired so I mean it was bang bang um I mean now they're just uh you know it's just like a it's like a lottery you want it you got it good you're <laughs> in but um you know so you know for as a young kid I mean um I think I was 21 when I took the test so I, I got on a little bit later than, than some I, I was like 22 and change almost 23 uh which I think is a good year but it wasn't my first job, and I try to tell students, because I teach at John Jay College, as mm-hmm. you know, and I always tell the students, try not to make policing your first job, right? Make sure you have a couple of jobs ahead of time, because I think it's important that you understand, you know, the the, the nuances behind policing. And I also say, I also tell the kids, too, even if you have a, a job that does customer service, those are skills as a cop that you're going to need. So, uh, you know, I, I always encourage people to, to do that stuff. I we all we all ran into people that this is their first job, right, and this is the first time they're ever dealing with the public and the first time, and you know, and and that could lead to problems.
0: Ninety-two, you come on, like you said, where were you assigned when you come out of the academy?
1: When I got out of the academy, I was assigned to the four-seven precinct up in the Bronx. Uh, I lived on Long Island, so I was paying a toll on top of that. So I was I was getting double whammy, right? So um, you know, uh, and the Bronx was uh, something that I never really visited, right? I mean. We're talking 80s and 90s and stuff. You didn't say, hey, let's go to the Bronx and see what's going on. I, I, I still think today people don't say, hey, let's go to the Bronx and see what's going on, unless you go to Yankee Stadium, right? Long Island is their extent of knowledge of the Bronx are two things one, Yankee Stadium, and two, anything above the Bronx is upstate New York. <laughs> that, that, that's basically what Long Islanders uh, think about the Bronx.
0: Was it, give me a first night, not a first night, give me a night on a foot post or a really crappy arrest when you're like, really? This is what I signed up for. The NYPD should be busting down doors. Give me something silly. Like, what am I doing? 23 year old kid. And I bet you, your friends in Long Island, like, oh my God, Joe's fighting crime. He's this big, ba-. and what well,
1: give me a yeah. horrible night? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, when we got out, we got out in, in January. So, and, and you know, you're a rookie cup. And if you remember back, back then, I mean, you know you you didn't get a car <laughs> you were on in f t u right the field training unit you were we were we were we had thirty uh people in our in my f t u in the four seven prison and we had three squads and we worked the day shift and the night shift and we were doing the five two five three sh- split because there were so many of us so we weren't getting like weekends off or nothing like that <laughs> so we were thrown right into it uh and in the middle of january here I am standing on white Plains road. Uh, you know, at 228th Street and everybody's selling drugs all around me. I don't know what the hell's going on. And, uh, you know, they they're, they were having a good old time. and you know, It takes a while until you realize exactly the, the what what they're doing. Uh, but I remember some nights being frozen out there.
2: Joe, did you get the Medal of Valor in the
1: 4-7? Yes. Um, at the time, if you remember, it was called the Medal of Merit. Uh, they changed all that stuff after um, actually... There was a whole big thing about a whole big hoopla about you know the fraternal orders there doing that. That was actually my metal day that that happened and wow, what a wow. scene! But yeah, so um, I was involved in a shooting. I didn't, shoot, I didn't shoot anybody. None of us got hurt, but uh, we went for a nearly six minute gun battle between my partner, who was not my normal partner that day, was a Saturday, and uh, we got a call for a disorderly group of youths in a warehouse, and we walked into an armed robbery where they were taking hostages. And uh, the gunfight ensued. I had, you know, and remember, we I had 38 too. So here we are. No talk about outmanned and outgunned, but like everything else, um, they were younger guys and they kind of froze up a little bit and they didn't, you know, they didn't charge us. But we were, we had, you know, we, we when you go to your training, right? Cover and conceal. And when we walked in, there was this, you know, huge, um, you know, bay door because it was a cable vision warehouse set. So they had the big warehouse doors where, they were, you know, you could drive the trucks in. So it was a sunny day. So when we walked in, we were silhouetted. We didn't know what was going on. And you know how we, you walk in from the the sun into the dark. Yeah. It takes it takes a couple seconds for your eyes. And so when we walked in, I didn't see I didn't see it at first. But about five or ten feet inside, there's this guy holding a gun. You know, wrapping the guy up. And I'm like, hey. And he turned around. I'll never forget. He turned around and whew, He took a shot at me. And I was like, oh, oh did no. this guy just like shoot at me? You know, what because. I mean? you know it's not like television right so you know <laughs> where things that so you just kind of like so we instinctively there was a uh cable vision van right to our left and we dove behind that for cover and then we exchanged shots until uh the cavalry could arrive um, you yeah. know, we were fortunate and uh you know they had i think was seven hostages uh, everybody came out okay including us and, and they did too right but they went to jail uh a couple of them got twenty years because it wasn't their first offense. I think, if I remember correctly. Wow. Then there was a, the one. One guy was a, he was a kid. He was like sixteen or seventeen years old. And he was you know, cable vision boxes at the time. That's how you know they was they were going to sell them, and that was the whole deal.
2: Wow. You know, it's funny that when you get promoted too, you get like an eighth of a point for the Medal of Valor,
1: but you get a full point for fitness.
2: You know, like if, he, yeah. if you're on the promotion list.
1: Yeah, I can tell you the medal for merit and all that other stuff, and two seventy five will get you dr- a ride on the subway. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah. No, nobody cares. Um, it's it's like uh, everything else uh, that, that, that you do. The public doesn't understand. The cops don't care. You don't care. It's just you know you just go there and do your job. And and um, you know I was fortunate to survive without getting hurt, and that's the only thing that really mattered because I only had I think two years on the job when it happened. And you know, one thing I always tell—I always tell people—if um, you're going to study things like officer-involved shootings, they seem to happen within like the first five years. And you look at it; very rarely do we have, uh, you know, veterans do it, unless, of course, they're in like an anti-crime unit or something like that, where they're actively going after guns. But I think the normal is, cop who in New York City—I bet you, was, I bet you you'd find out within the first five to seven years—is
2: it because they're on patrol? You think, or, or you know, like if you're older, you're more likely to be not getting involved. Yeah, in it. yeah. Yeah. And that's what I like about your book. That's, that's what I like about your book. You, at, at the end of every chapter, you, you uh, suggest research things to research. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm in the master's program at John Jay And oh, cool. I, I was, I was the one who you can thank, you know, Mike can thank me for suggesting wow. you. <laughs> You're one of the guys, you and, um, and Eugene O'Donnell were really. Um, yeah. Gene's great. Guy. That's why I decided to apply, you know, and, and I won't have you, in class because I only have two classes left, so I'm not like trying to okay. get an A. But uh, but you 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 Mackie Haberfeld, who I had the pleasure of having as a professor, was great, and um, you three were really.
1: Um, oh, that's great! Yeah, no, I mean, listen, yeah, Gene was um, instrument in, in helping me get started with um, many of the interviews and stuff that I get involved with.
2: Wow, you know, he wow. did. He, He's good, he yeah. was doing a
1: lot. Yeah, he was doing a lot, and and he kind of approached me and he said hey you ever think about doing this kind of stuff and wow yeah you know, i really didn't think of it at the time but uh, i said yeah sure why not you know and then like they say the rest is history but it, it's um like everything else it's not what you know it's who you know sometimes and and a lot of people ask like you know how do you get so many uh, tv interviews how do you do this it isn't because i'm handsome but pretty that's for sure so <laughs> Uh, it's it's, um, you know, I, I always tell people, anybody can do this. You know, I'm just a kid from Long Island who, you know, got a, you know, got a master's degree and, t- t- uh, you know, I was,
2: a You're a yeah,
1: yeah I mean, it's like, ooh, good. this isn't that difficult. I mean, you could, like everything else, if you want to do it, you got to learn how to do it and then just do it right. This like you do doing the podcast, right? This didn't start up overnight. you it, it takes a lot of work. People don't realize how much work is involved in these things
0: and, yeah. I, and how much research and stuff goes into it. But yeah, I, I, you want, gotta, yeah. I, I want to get back to the things. You got promoted after like five or six years, right? You went to 7 yeah. 3, then IAB, <laughs> yep. g- generic stuff. When did the fun stuff happen? Because I know you went to the fugitive division. I know you went all over. So when did the fun stuff yep. happen after the first few years? How'd that process well, go? Uh,
1: well, I'll tell you, I, I really enjoyed being a cop in the Bronx. I learned a lot. Of, I mean, and listen, the 47th precinct, we had lots of shootings and lots of homicides up there. We were one of the leading precincts up there at the time. People don't realize it, but that northern precinct, they they experienced a lot of violence going back in the day. And uh, I got involved. Well, you know, I took the promotional exam. I got I got promoted. I think it was like six years and change, uh, you know, and and Sean will tell you, right, so you, 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 when you're, when you're uh, getting promoted, right, they give you a list like, here's 15 places, pick one, right? I got my 16th choice.
2: Yeah, no, that's <laughs> so, what I always say. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's all, you know, cause all the contracts come in, all the phone calls come in. So I actually picked the, uh, the 6-3 and the 8-3 as my first two choices, and they gave me the mm-hmm. 7-3, so I figured they would just, they gave me the average. So, um, you know, uh, so I ended up in the 7-3, knowing exactly what I was getting involved with, right? Talk about baptism by fire. So we're talking 1999, too. So we're still talking about, uh, you know, a difficult time in New York City. And when I first got to the 73, we were talking about 88 homicides or so, you a know, one square mile precinct. And <clears throat> yeah, talk about baptism by fire. So here I am, brand new sergeant, and, and I'm dealing with crime scenes like the first day when you're out there. So uh, learn. you learn quickly. You learn how to handle these things. And like everything else, it's... It's like do or die, so to speak, where you have to do it and you got to learn how to do it. And, you know, you make mistakes, of course, you just hope that those mistakes aren't too costly. And then each each crime scene, each incident gets easier and you get better at it. And, and uh, you know, and that's kind of what led me into saying, you know what, I, I like to get to you know, the detective bureau at this point because it was already too late to try to become a detective. Right. Because I already got promoted. But I really started uh, in the 73 saying, you know, I really like this investigative stuff. So. After about four years in the 7-3, um, I said, you know, I, I was going to try to get to the detective bureau. And anybody on the job knows when you go in front of the board, uh, anything is scooped happen. Up. It's, usually, it's usually something you don't want and as like everything else. Because I have, I didn't have any help in anywhere, right? You could just tell by my choices where I ended up, the 4-7, seven, the 7-3. Seven so I threw it out there and you go and you sit in front of a panel and I re- I'll never forget it, but the patrol captain uh turned to me and said, because everyone asked questions on this panel. So the patrol captain says, I only have one question. He's like, why would you want to leave the garden spot like the 73 Precinct? And he <laughs> says, you know, you don't have to answer it. I just wanted to I just wanted to throw that out there. So um and, and you know and they all told me too in the break the, you're gonna go to IEB. It's as simple as that. Because the IEB guy leaves the room and they turned to me and said, dude, you're going to the IEB. So you know, oh, God. So in I got lucky though, I ended up in the Queen's IEB. So I didn't have to, you know, commute to Manhattan mm-hmm. yet or, or the, you know, go back to the Bronx at that point. So, um, you know, you know, in most of the cases that you deal with in IB are just cops calling on cops. I mean, it's, you know, people think, oh, the police don't police their own. Whatever. What a what a joke that is.
2: Yeah, I know. But it's really. Blue I mean, wall of
1: silence. Yeah. Blue wall <laughs> silence my behind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, one thing I think the job does do is they make you paranoid, right? Like you're gonna lose your job and if you know, and all that other stuff. And I think that's what causes a lot of that. I, and 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 I know we're, we're gonna sound biased, but actually the police department does a pretty good job trying to trying to stop oh, out oh, some I, of these yeah. things.
2: You're absolutely you know, but, right. You're absolutely right. I, I, people and, and the when,
1: outside,
2: yeah, when they go after you they they go after you for a reason too.
1: You know, they they usually get it right, you know. Yeah, I can tell you the cases that I that I had, um, none of them were saying like, Oh, come on, this is nonsense, right? You yeah, know, you right you only really don't they they really only gave you something that had meat on it like like there's something really bad going on here yeah um you know a lot of times do you get these ex-girlfriends that um you know call up i tell these guys all the time why do you tell you know why do you say these things you know they have got to come back and haunt you and that's exactly what happens right so revenge becomes a motive behind some of this stuff but uh, you know, I, as I said it, it sounds biased, but you know the the general public and the cop haters will never believe. Oh, you're just you know bootlicker. and <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can't get through to people like that anyway, so I just ignore them.
2: Yeah, and that's why you're great, Joe, because you go on and you defend the cops. And in, in your book about the police involved shootings, yeah. it's great. You know, you you do, yeah, you and, and,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, like I said I, I listen when when they they need to be defended. I'll I'll take the lumps. I'll go out there and I'll say, you know, this is. But you know what? When they don't do a good job, or something really happens, I say that too. It's not like a one-sided thing. And I, no matter what I say, I always piss off half the half the group. Right? If yeah, I say yeah, the yeah. cops did a good, yeah. If the cops did a good job, the anti-cop cop crowd is all over me. If I say the cops didn't do a good job, I got the cops sending me stuff like, "Hey, don't be that guy." You know this, I, I, I get emails from people like, "Oh, I can't believe you said that." I, okay, for the other hundred times that I said the cops did a good job, did you send me an email saying, "Hey, thanks for backing right, right, right. us up"? No, they only yeah. that one time you say something they're like all over you, you know. You
0: you, you can't win now. After the uh, you stint no. in IAB, usually you get a gig. So did they offer you Fugitive or Cold Case, or did you have to go another step
1: before that? No, I went to the, the I went to the squad before that. So I went to the one ten squad. I actually finally got what I wanted to. So I ended up in Corona, uh, never realizing because I've never I was never in the precinct. I'll, I'll just tell you a quick funny story. So yeah, I love this. Talk about um, you know contracts that go in, right? So I get assigned to Queens Detective Squad, report to um, you know the one twelve. Uh, yeah, Was it the one twelve? I don't know where. Yeah, the boroughs in the one twelve, right? Mm-hmm. So um report to the one twelve for your assignment. So I drive to the one twelve, I park the car, I go up there, I speak to the lieutenant and everything. Oh, the, the chief is there. Everybody's like, oh, what happened, boy? Well, you, you're going to go to the one o two precinct. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, you know. There was no Google ways and nothing maps, so I'm like trying where to the, where the hell is the 102? Right, so I'm like, oh yeah, great, you know. So I get my car, I drive over to the 102, I go into the squad, I see the lieutenant, I introduce myself, I just the phone rings and they say, "Is uh, you know Jack along with you? Yeah, well, tell him he's been transferred to the 104 precinct, okay? I get my car, I'm heading over to the 104, and my phone rings. Uh, Where are you now? I'm like. I'm. A, I got. So I said to the lieutenant, "I'm just pulling over to the side of the road. When you guys decide to finally tell me where I'm going, I'm not driving all over Queens all day." So I went from. <laughs> yeah, I was. I got transferred from like the 102, the 104, and I ended up at the 110. All within like five hours. <laughs> I guess all the phone calls were going in. I wanted the 102. Yeah, they got us wanted, yeah, the the guys wanted their spots. Yeah. You, you know what? It was fortunate because the 110 was a lot closer. I mean, the the 104. I, if you asked me to find the 104 precinct today, I still couldn't find it. Wow. It's like it's like tucked in away in inside the inside the community. I mean, it's like one of those places where he's like, uh, but the 110, have, If you have you ever been to the one ten? I've been to one ten. No. Yeah, the parking is the worst situation I think that you could ever find in a precinct. Yeah, it's I worse mean, than they, the they fifth got, over there. It really is. It's worse than Chinatown over there. It really is. Oh, the, you have actually police cars parked in people's driveways because it's that's how that's how um, that's how screwy it, it is. And, you know, people, most of the people were, you know, were okay with it. You know, the, the, the community. I mean, they understood that, you know, things, would, you, every now and then you get somebody upset. But anyway, so I was in the 110 squad there. Uh, I learned a lot, like everything else. But it's like the first, like, homicide, you get the first shooting you get as a squad boss. You're like, freeze. You're like, what do I do? You know? Now, it's not like I got to go and stand outside with my guys to make sure nobody gets in the crime scene like they did in Brooklyn, right? There's a whole nother, you know, aspect of it. So, you know, like everything else, you make some, make some mistakes and then you learn. And then um, where you really learn, I think what, what the NYPD does with um, with the sergeants, uh, and I think it's a great idea, is like on Sundays, you, you have the duty. So meaning you cover like sometimes up to five or six precincts. And it, basically, you know, you're not going home because you've now, you know, five or six times the chances of something happening to you. But it made you, as a supervisor, learn, first of all, where all the different precincts were. You get to see all the other detectives, you get to learn who everybody is, all the players are, so to speak. But you actually now are five and six times your crime scenes and your investigations and you really get immersed into it. And I think that's that's something that, that's a model that I think needs to be put out in some of the other big cities too if they're not doing that already. A lot it's of funny the- that you
2: say that about Sundays. You know, like uh, on patrol too, if you're a sergeant on a Sunday, four to 12. You're the, you're the guy, you know, it's funny that you say that Joe about the squad. it's, that's interesting. You know, like
1: uh, you think about it is baptism by fire, this job, right? No, no, Yeah. You're right. You're right.
2: You're absolutely right. Yeah. A sergeant's a good spot because you learn it. You learn the job. You got to learn it, you know?
1: (laughs) Yep. You you, you certainly do. Um, it's, I always say the sergeants really run the job, right? The best spot, the best, the best spot, as you know, is the Lieutenant, right? I, I used to call him the elevator operator. I don't want to do it. I push it up. I don't want to do it. I push it down. (laughs) Captain, sergeant, so. um, But I'll tell you, I worked with um, some really good detective lieutenants, and you know, talk about. And 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 what I what I liked about these guys too is that they, if you were willing to learn, and you would go in their office with a cup of coffee or something, you sat down and you say, "Listen, this is what happened to me." How do I avoid to do that in the future or, or learning how to manage detectives over cops totally right. two different things oh you yeah know, you, totally two different things yeah yeah you have to learn quickly that you let detectives do their thing so to speak right quote unquote yeah. do their thing and that's how they work best under pressure and that's how they uh they go about doing their business and it, it takes it takes a bit to learn that
0: once you were in the – as a DB sergeant now, now you knew you wanted to stay in that route. Did you go right next to cold case? Because a lot of your interviews, you said cold case was your favorite time on the job. So is that it what was, you went yeah. next?
1: No. What happened was um, I was in school at the time too when I was in the squad. <clears throat> I was working my master's degree. And we had the um, – New York State said we were going to lose all of our credits for our courses. And at the time, we had Chief Browns. And I guess, you know, you know when you fill out those things like, you know, what degrees you have, you know, when you get on the job, like where, where you live, where you work, what languages you just speak, all that stuff, and, and degrees pop up. So I must have fell on a list that said, all right, this guy is, you know, uh, going for his graduate degree. He's got this, he's got that, whatever. He's got squad experience. He's got all these things that they were looking for. So I get a call from uh, an inspector, and he said, uh, listen, the, the chief wants to know if um, you know, we, we we want you to go to the training unit. We got to get these, you know, um, courses up to speed. We got to get them credited. We got to do all this stuff: homicide course, criminal investigations course, all these things. So I'm like, really not interested. Thanks. They're like, good. We'll see you Monday. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so here I am. So I end up going to Gold Street, and I, I spent a couple of years in Gold Street uh, doing that. So we get everything accredited. We get the homicide course accredited. So when 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 You know, I took that job serious for two reasons. One, I understood the value of getting an education and learning about things. We all know that training isn't the be all and end all, meaning that it's great to get training, but you have to experience it, too. So when me and a couple of detectives, when we designed these courses and we we came up with this stuff, we said, let's base it on reality. But let's make sure we also can teach them you know, how to do the administrative stuff so when they get there, they can write the, the the reports right because we know writing reports sometimes in the police department is is tough so you know because nobody really trains you they think like oh you went to you went to high school and you can write yeah no writing's hard no. yeah yeah writing takes a I still I, I still struggle with it every day there's still some mm-hmm. words like effect and effect I still couldn't tell you which oh, one you, you, used you one. mentioned
2: that you mentioned that in the book affect and effect I, I, yeah you 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 made it easy that that's those are the two words that that was on the captain's test. So effect and effect, they, they, you know, the difference between the two it was on the captain's test. Yeah. That's funny that well, you mentioned.
1: Yeah. That's the, there's always one. I always tell people this. They, you always have like your, your one word nemesis or two word nemesis. Oh, that no matter it. how many times people, yeah, how many times people tell you, you're still like, you know what? I don't get it. And well, well, I knew, you know, just a, just a side note quick. I knew I had something really special with the book, uh, when New Jersey took it for police promotional exams for years.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So uh, and and what the 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 council and everybody else, when they decided to do this, they said it was it was easy reading. It was basic to the point. It wasn't, you know, there's no fluff in it. Right. I'm not in I'm not putting war stories and cop stories and all that other stuff in there. It's just basic stuff. And, you know, the only complaint that people might have about the book was that I use a lot of acronyms. Right. So uh, but, you know from the police department that's how we learned about things right everything esu edp right everything's an acronym right so um you know that's the way to do it so i went there for a couple of years um and then i went to chief brown and said okay i spent the last you know two years or so doing this we got it all up and done. i'd like to now go you know do something i go back to the squad even that's right that's what i really wanted to do and he said no listen you know you did a you did a great job. I can't you know. So you pick something, and I'll tell you if it's doable or not. Yeah. Right. So it's like one of those. So it's like one of those. You know, you shoot for the the moon. If you get the stars, hey, listen, you're good. So I said okay, and I had done my homework first, right? So in Gold Street, the <laughs> the commanding officer of Cold Case is in Gold Street, and I was you know going down. I was always talking to him because I was like you know like everybody else. Um, Planting the seed, so to speak. So I developed a good relationship with him. And I, I had asked him, I said, Listen, is there a spot? Because I'm going to ask the chiefs to come. He says, Great, love to have you. Wow. So he said, That's Yeah, right. we got a spot. He says, You're going right. to the Bronx, though? I said, Listen, I spent my first like six years in the Bronx. Uh, the Bronx doesn't scare me, no problem. You know, and, and anyway, I was going to Rivetdale, you know, so, so it's like, Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, wow. It's the nicest, yeah, it's the nicest part of the Bronx. Oh, it's go-tow. in the 5 0? 5-0? Yeah, it's in the 5 so I went to the chief. I said, okay, um, I'd like to go to cold case. So he said, okay. He, so he walked me over to the Lieutenant, the administrative Lieutenant. And he said, uh, put Joe in cold case. So he had yeah. said, uh, well, we we have to put him in fugitive enforcement division because that's what cold case falls mm-hmm. under because we only had, I think it was about at the time, was only 15 detectives left. He said, you know, and we, there was a Sergeant and a Lieutenant already. He said, if we put him in quote unquote cold case, everything's going to get thrown off and they're going to bounce it back because there's, there's too much supervision. So he right. says, you know, do do whatever you got to do with him. So he signs me to fugitive enforcement. So I went there and I saw at the time Chief O'Neill, who then became the police commissioner, he had already gotten the phone call from, you know, Chief Brown, told me exactly what was going on. He said he's going to be assigned to fugitive, but he's going to cold case. And, um, you know, so I always respected Chief Brown for that. Not only did he say you know, do this for me and I'll take care of you. And not only did he take care of me, but he made the phone calls to make sure it happened. By the time I got to Brooklyn that day, I knew I walked in. He said, the chief, uh, Chief O'Neill got up. He walked me out. We went right to the cold case squad. And basically, you know, like pushed you back and said, here you go. See you later. Yeah. So, here, um,
0: and here's my question with cold cases. Now we all read books, podcasts, cold cases, the hot thing. What makes you or a detective open up a case? Cause most likely clues aren't coming in again. Like, Hey, I know about a shooting from 85. What makes you pick and choose which cases you're going to reopen, look at and stuff?
1: Okay. It's basically two answers to that. First, you have – if you're going to go on your own and see if you can find a case for yourself. <clears throat> so at the time it was me and three detectives in Bronx Cole Case, Mark Tebbins, uh, Tony Padilla, and Steve Berger. And we'll, we'll talk about those guys another time. We'll yeah, Tebbins. About Tebbins.
2: I, I met Tebbins
1: once. Yeah. Oh, my God. Talk yeah. about great detectives. These guys. Awesome. They were giants. They were yeah, giants. They Literally. Yeah, you know it, he was, was he crazy. was
2: involved in the Wild Cowboys, the Wild Cowboys. He was yeah. a Wild Cowboy.
1: Yeah, they they've written books about this guy. Yeah,
2: Gangbusters. Uh,
1: you got to read that, Mike. Gangbusters. Yeah, and the Wild Cowboy. There's a book, The Wild Cowboy. Yeah, the, um, game.
2: yeah, it's um, yeah, the Wild Cow. It's two different books. Yeah,
1: yeah, and he also they also did a, an expose on him and a couple of the people in Time Magazine back in the '90s too. Wow. So I mean, but. He would never know it. He was a quiet, he was, I used to call him the gentle giant. He was like six foot three, six foot four, like 250, but in good shape. Yep. And and then Tony was, um, he's also, it uh, he was over six foot. So Steve and I were, always we're, we're tiny, right? Compared to And it was funny because we would walk into a place and be and we like, listen, you either talk to us or you, you talk to them. And they would go like, look around you and go like, all right, we'll talk to you guys, you know, but getting back to how, how to pick a case. So. If we went to a precinct to look for a case, we would look for what we refer to as solvability factors. What are our chances of solving this case based on certain things? So things like solvability factors would be DNA, of course. If there's fingerprints, potential eyewitnesses, all of those things would factor into it. Now, I know some police departments have like a matrix, right? They put numbers on, you know, DNA would be eight points. We didn't do that. If we, if we had a chance that there was DNA in it, then we would just take it because all the advances that were happening, it was a good opportunity. So that was the one way. So if we that was like a self-initiated, the second way that we come across a case is a request from a family member. We always preferred a family member because why? We want to get to know our victim. We're looking at cases, you know, 20, 30 years old. There's no way that we're going to find people to tell us, you know, who who this person was, but the family. So the family was always a good spot, right? Because who was your victim doing that victimology? Who could, you know, want to hurt this person? Why did they do that? Right? We're trying to find the motive, and, and of course, that's that's an important thing. So that's how that's how we did it, and then the third way actually is actually third. We would get things from other squats and and Jerry Giorgio. You might have uh, heard of. He was a pretty famous detective too. He was up in the three four precinct. And it, well, you know, because in the days, you know, when we we won't name names, but when we had a big change in the detective bureau who was running it. We kind of lost our focus on certain things, and we went from. You know, trying to solve homicides and all that stuff to the minutia, right? Everything became uh, the grand law thing <laughs> became now the homicide investigation. You know, and these guys would get and girls would get like bogged down with this stuff. So they would call us up and say, "Listen, I got this great case. We kind of know what's going on, but I don't have the time to work on it anymore." Wow. Right. And they would they would dump these things on us. So it, they made us look good because they gave us stuff that was like you know three quarters of the way done that that basically just had to finish you know bring it to the finish line. So Jerry Giorgio dropped the case on us that we ended up tying um, – uh, uh, his name was Angel Garrity. We, we tied him to seven murders and four rapes. Wow. So, he was, in, know, D- was yeah. in the DR? Was he hiding in
2: the Dominican Republic? Yeah, yeah. yeah he,
1: he fled to the Dominican Republic, and it took us a couple of years to get him out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, it, all of us had just about retired by the time he went to trial, but we all showed up in the Bronx courthouse uh, right. and, and, and yeah, we have a picture of us all together, uh, all on our own time. Uh, you know, like I said, we were retired, but we, we had worked so hard on this case. Mark uh, specifically, and I mean, he, he, he got the case and he talk about um, like pit bull mentality, right? I mean, he, he knew what we had and, you know, following these things down. I mean, the frustration mounted to, I mean, you know, who didn't want to you know, prosecute this case? Cause it, what happened was the, we had it was a homicide in Manhattan, homicide in the Bronx, homicide in Queens. So now you have all these boroughs and all these jurisdictions, and after a while, you're kind of like, oh god. So things yeah. kind of things kind of got a little hairy. But at the end of the day, uh, Mark's perseverance was um, was the thing that finally pushed this thing through.
2: And you mentioned in the book too that for cold cases, the prosecutor is tougher, right? They they want more.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I refer to it as probable cause plus. Yeah. Um. You know that you. You, you don't get it. It's not like regular policing where you establish double cause and you slap cuffs on people and you go to court. You know, you have a case that's 20, or 30 years old. The district attorney, um, if you make an arrest without their permission, they'll they'll 343 it right there. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, throw it out. Uh, and you, you don't want that either because then double jeopardy comes in. You'll never be able to, to close that case. Wow. So, working with the prosecutors, we met. I met a lot of good prosecutors. I have met a couple of bad ones too. Just like cops, right? You got good ones and bad ones. And what I mean by bad ones, I'm not talking about corrupt. I'm talking about people who just like don't want to do their job, right? Uh, right. You know, I, I know in this, in this kind of language, when you say bad, people think corrupt. Yeah, you know, right. No, like, yeah. <clears throat> you know, they, they don't want to, uh, you know, go the extra mile. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, you just said the word so, frustration as the CO, commanding officer of the Cold Case Squad. One of the biggest hurdles, because obviously you're going to say DNA and cameras, what causes a case to go cold? Is it just witnesses? Because like right now, there should never be a cold case with the Ring app, DNA and stuff. But what causes most cases to go cold?
1: Well, back in the day, most of the cases had a a drug or a a gang nexus, which you don't have any witnesses. You don't have anybody that wants to come forward. You get no information from the public because they're all scared to death, right? So that's, you, you would walk into a squad room and you would see boxes of cases. And then every now and then you, you, you see these little folders, right? And you knew exactly what those cases were. They were all drug and gang cases. They have like six fives in them, right? Which is the dd5, which is the reports from your listeners there. So you had a, you knew exactly what it was and you knew exactly why it was open, because nobody wanted help. That doesn't mean we didn't look into it, right? Because people sometimes change their mind 20 years later. Their kids have grown up. They moved away um lots of different things change and things happen changes in relationships right where the, the girlfriend didn't want to say anything but now all of a sudden she, you know the guy left there and he has kids with somebody else and now they're all pissed right hell have no fury so mm-hmm. you, those are the cases that you really look for where you have that chance to be able to uh, we, we say which had something with meat on it you can sink your teeth into it so Yes, it would be great that every case had DNA, but if you remember going back in the 80s and stuff, specifically in the 70s, no, we didn't know about DNA. So anything that was vouchered was put in plastic and you, you ruined DNA samples, you know, blood. There was times when we opened up a box, you'd find a bloody shirt, not even in not even in a in, in a um, security envelope. So <laughs> you didn't know. So you Clarence always had rates- to have gloves on. Yeah, you always had to have gloves on because you never know what the hell you were going to get into.
2: And clearance rates were higher, right? Before,
1: prior to DNA. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Clearance rates were much higher. Uh, clearance rates continue to drop, and yeah. during yeah during the twenty 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 one, when he, I think we we're up fifty down to fifty four, which I think is the lowest on record. I think since they started tracking them in the sixties. I mean, yeah. in the sixties we're up in the nineties. Now we're up in you know fifty four percent. They they really dropped a lot the last couple of years, and there's reasons for it, right? So you had the 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 the, the violent protests going on and. Now, um, you know, the pandemic, you know, people didn't want to go knocking on people's doors and you can't blame them. We didn't know what was going on. And we saw a, a huge drop. I'm hoping to see a rebound back up into the 60s over the next couple of years. But you know what? We might not find out because the new um, crime stats, NIVERS, right? Uh, is a Nibers, total, yeah. Oh, my God, what yeah. a mess this is.
2: There's a professor I don't know if you've ever heard of him at Texas State named Kim Kim Rosmo. He wrote a good uh, research paper I think it was twenty eighteen called The New Detective. He wrote it with John Eck, who's at the University of Cincinnati. He's a famous guy, and um, I, I recommend reading that. It's really good. He, okay. he talks. He was a he was a detective in Canada. He's big into geographical profiling and and um, how to improve the investigative process. Now it's really good, and he talks about how he he recommends having. Um even even a case that's not so old, you know, a couple of weeks old, having a, a, a team of detectives from another agency, look it over, you know, for a fresh set of eyes. And it's really good. I recommend it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that's my kind of like my uh, thing in the in the um cold case yeah. chapter, right? Fresh set of eyes and I break it. Yeah, down exactly. In forensic exactly. Advanced, but yeah. Yeah.
2: That's it, what I thought of right away.
1: Yeah, and like I said, so I'm glad to see those things stick with people because that's that was right. the idea behind it, right? Well, a fresh set of eyes, so a phrase that would come mm-hmm. up that I would break it down into an acronym and have people break these things down. And, and like yourself, saying, you know what, this point, so just that one little thing where you can read something and, and, and think about it and apply it to your job is, is, a, right. is a good, yeah, it, that, that, that kind of stuff makes me happy.
0: Yeah. You're a big proponent about boots on the ground, like, really, you know, forget about the cameras everywhere. You love the door to door old school detecting. In cold yeah. case, that must have been your dream job because this is all you're not going back to find video or social media. You were knocking on doors, finding its people. Is that like your bread and butter? Is that why it was your favorite time on the job?
1: Yeah, I, I, I like talking to people, and the guys that I work with uh, love talking to people. And that's basically yeah. communication skills is like the number one thing that you need to have. Um and, and just to tell you a quick funny story, we went to the four or five precinct on an old case that was a mob related case. And um we knocked on the door and this little old lady uh, answers the door and, and we like we, when we said the the victim's name, or whatever, she stopped for a second, and she goes, You're still investigating them <laughs> you know, it's like oh, you know, and and we're like, Yeah, unfortunately, whatever. So she's like, Oh, come on in. So we're talking and what happened was at the time her husband was the one who was the eyewitness. And, you know, we're looking around the house. We don't hear any other noises. And we're kind of like, you know, and she was a she was an elderly woman. So I'm like, is, you know, anybody else that you think we might want to talk to? You know, kind of thing. And she's like, Sonny, you can say it. He goes, my husband died a number of years ago. I know where you're headed with this. You know, so she was pretty sharp. <laughs> but, um, but she, you know, she sat down with us at the table. We talked. But, yes, communication skills, number one thing for policing as far as I'm concerned. It can prevent you from getting yourself in trouble. It can prevent yourself... You know, so people worry about CCRBs these days, executives, whatever, communication skills are the whole thing. Tell people why you stopped them. Ask them to, you know, go put the description back over the radio for the person who's upset that you stopped them because you think you profiled them, right? I mean, some of the simple things like that, but yes, learning how to talk to people, asking, learning how to ask the right questions, uh, watching people, how they react to certain things, uh, all really important skills. And they are, those are skills that you can learn. You get better at by doing it.
0: A fanboy question. Any noteworthy cases uh, you ever worked on? Because I know New York State is, a, you know, the five or six, you know, Abe the Second Avenue Deli, uh, Sarah Fox, Eaton Pats, you know, those are oh, the, yeah. the famous ones. Sarah Fox. Yeah. Did you ever work on any uh, cold
1: yep. cases we, that we were about? Yeah, we worked the Sarah Fox case. We yeah. also worked the uh, Baby Hope case was just a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. 3-4, so, yeah,
0: right? Baby Hope. A, yeah.
1: Yep. And Two. once again, Jerry Giorgio, was uh, well, that was um, his case. So, you know, I always said all roads lead to Jerry, I used to say, uh, in cold case, because all the all the major cases that we had up there, or even northern Manhattan, they all had Jerry Giorgio's imprint on it.
2: He couldn't solve um, anything, right? No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: well yeah, like everything else, remember, the 3-4 back in the day, my God, it was like, oh, um, yeah. it was it was like a war. Now you go up there, there's like, you know, cupcake stores on every corner, right, um, right, right. <laughs> you know, but... Um, yeah, baby, hope was a case where a lot of people don't know. I can talk about it now because they made the arrest and, and the conviction over. Yeah, please overbubed. do, please do. But we um, we had actually cameras set up at the cemetery because uh, on anniversary dates things would show up at the um, at the grave site. Now the oh. grave site was the grave site was not um, in the directory, meaning you couldn't go into the scene and say, "Oh, could you tell me yeah. what section, plot, lumber? So you had to know it was there, wow. uh, and and, and you know we ended up after a while we we ended up figuring out that it was a couple of cops from the three four that would go up there on you know Christmas and and in the anniversary dates the one we were really keying in on was the, the the dates when she was found right things were showing up there so um you know we kind of dismissed that right away once we realized it was cops just coming laying flowers and teddy bears and those kind of things but it just goes to show you the reason why I always tell that story is to go, the length that we will go to to try oh, to yeah. discover a lead yeah. or somebody. Uh, I think the general public really needs to hear that because no, no, it's we, awesome. yeah, we went, uh, we go way above it. Uh, what what I always say is the cold case investigator is the last liaison between the public and the police. And the police always are talking about, oh, we need to improve community relations. We need to do this, which caused me to write a, an op-ed that ended up going on this Police Insight um, website and, and say, if, we, we always are stretching to try to find, you know, the community stuff. But meanwhile, we have things right here that we can do immediately, including, you know, start getting back in, involved in cold cases. There's big changes coming for police departments. I don't know if they're ready for it yet with the, with cold cases, but two new laws have passed uh, in the last couple of months. You had the Homicide Victims' Rights Act signed in the federal law, and the other day, just to help find the missing act, so those two laws are going to um really change how cold cases are handled and, and i and, um I'm writing a new textbook currently right now that's actually due in February on cold cases oh, and man. and let me tell you something I have, so I break down the laws just like we were talking about before Sean, right with the books so we're, we're breaking breaking down these laws we're telling the the chiefs and the executives or the police commissioners, you know, with the different names throughout the country, what they're really in store for. And I can tell you, they're not ready for it. Because when I'm reading this, I'm going, how is even New York City going to handle this? Major cities are going to have huge problems, specifically with the Help Find the Missing Act, because it, is, uh, it adds a whole other level to this thing. So they better be prepared.
0: Well, wow. You love the cold case so much. When was it time to put a bow on your career and wrap it up? When did you know... And this is time. And why?
1: Well, because uh, like everything else, I wasn't happy with um, the way things were getting run in regards to not my unit, but above us, right? So like I said, we won't name names. but um,
2: (laughs) Three, four connection?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Things things got a little dicey for me at the end because like everything else, I'm not... I don't like prepare for things. So like when we do like stuff like this, right? I prefer doing interviews without knowing any questions or anything like that because I want to be just as surprised as the to listener to what comes out of my mouth. Um, and I, I kind of like um, it. Didn't really matter if you were a three star chief or not. If you if you said something to me, whatever, I, I would always say something back, kind of thing. It kind of fell out of a favor with that, but uh, you know, I also then got transferred out the last couple of months too, probably because of that. So. <laughs> Uh, I ended up up in a good spot but I ended up like directly underneath the supervision which was probably another thing right so I ended up uh, in Crime Stoppers for the last couple of months and I tell you talk about another great unit and another and another valuable asset that the police department has and and I always like to say I put an imprint on that too we changed a lot of things we got a new bus uh, we got rid of the bus and we got you know smaller car you know smaller vans and made a thing mobile and and um, to do that kind of thing. I like to take some credit for some of the new things that have happened over that over the few years. But, you know, someone's got to pat you on the back. But <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I ended up leaving uh, shortly, you know, after that, a couple of months. And then, like, I, I was gone. I had I had, had enough, right?
2: Yeah, it's great. You left in 20. You left a young man, healthy man. That That's good. That's the good way to do it. Yeah. Well, I left well, liking when you... the job, you know. I left loving the job. That's the way to do it. Yeah.
1: Right. I like the job. I just didn't like the conditions I had to work under. Oh, and that's yeah, absolutely. always. But it doesn't matter if you're in the police department or you're working for the major corporation, if the boss makes or breaks people. And if if people just learn that if you just leave people alone. So to speak, right. they right. will do great things. But if you are going to micromanage people, I am not the kind of person that needs to be micromanaged. I you don't even have to show up. I will be on time every day. I will leave yeah. exactly when I am supposed to leave, and I'll do everything I'm supposed to do within that eight hours or so to do it. I'm not the guy. You know, yeah. we we all know there's plenty of people on our job that you have, you got to be standing on top of them because you right. look one you look left, you look right, they're gone. So you know, and, I, and that and that that kind of um, supervision didn't work with
0: me yeah retirement now professor writing books but you're also all over the news and oh, I want to current affairs with the idaho case the oh, idaho yeah. four we were obsessed with it like everyone else it just had so many things and the police did a fascinating job and a great job by not just giving into the web sleuths and everyone else, like we need more info they're not doing anything initially like everyone else we're all into it what were your initial thoughts and theories on it
1: well, if you look at the interviews I did on this, right, I did a number of them. I did uh, Newsweek. I did a couple of big ones, News Nation. Uh, and to toot my own horn, there's a video that I think people should watch on the Law and Crime Network about two days before this thing happened.
2: No, Joe, you're right. You're right. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt and, uh, you, Joe, but I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah, exactly. And, and and I just want to say one thing. I listened to a couple of podcasts. One one is, I'm not going to mention any names, but one is a guy who was uh, in the, in on the job, too. And they, he, he's a really good guy. But he, he said two days before, he said, no, I disagree with Jackalone. I don't think they have a suspect. But you had said, I think they're zeroing in on somebody. And I said to Mike, I said, oh, my God, this is perfect timing. Perfect timing to have Sergeant Jackalona. I
1: just wanted yeah. to go. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I had to say. No, you. no problem. Thanks. Yeah, you were yeah, right. No, listen. Well, and, and, I, was, and I, uh, I kind of felt I was right for several reasons. One, they, the, he, the chief had done an interview. The day before with the press and here he is he's sitting back in his he was chair happy.
2: he was happy yep. yeah he
1: had a yeah. calm look on his face and i said that is a man who yep. has a guy on the radar Yep. so when i was on the tv i said you know listen they they have a suspect or suspects i always use those two words right too because you never know if there's yeah. more than one person but i said yeah he had a suspect and and i if you watch it he even the host was like really like you know kind of they were and they actually even wrote that in the thing they have suspects. Ex sergeant says this and that. No, said, I oh, listened boy. to
2: the, I listened to your. I listened to the
1: exact. I listened to what you had said. I knew. I knew you were right. You
2: know. You, you know. Well,
1: yeah. I was. Just, yeah. Listen. Were there times where I said I was concerned about how things go? Yeah, I was concerned about a couple of things, but those are those are uh, administrative stuff specifically.
2: But you right? never, you Everyone's, never criticize. You never criticized the cops on that case. You knew. You knew. Yeah. And I'm not trying to listen. I'm not going to have you for a class. I don't need an A. But I'm just saying you knew, you knew, no. And, and I told Mike too. I said, he's the perfect guest. You know, he he knew, you know, so. Thanks.
1: Yeah. No, Yeah. like I said, there was a couple of administrative things that I saw that I didn't like, Um but like everything else at the end of the day, it's about the value of the, of the, the quality of the investigation and not the quantity of it. And it's about, uh, it's about teamwork. It's about collaboration. It's about the, the local, state, and feds working together. Right? Not, not like like the garbage you see on television, where like the, the, the cops and the feds are always fighting. I always tell people, yeah, I'm like, is the exact opposite. If the feds yeah, no. showed up in my office and they came in a couple of times, they say, hey, listen, we want this case. Who's got the Who's got the gift wrapping? Let's put it together, right? Because, right. because like cold case, especially, who cares who solves it, right? Yeah. If I my job is to get this case closed, and the only way it gets closed is through an arrest or exceptional means, right? So exceptional means for those might not know that you have a reason, you have probable cause, but just some reason out of your control that that you can't make the arrest, right? So the guy's in federal custody, you can't talk to him. He's in Cuba, Cuba, you know, somewhere we don't have extradition. So that's 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 how that works. But at the end of the day, your job is to close cases and provide uh, you know a sense of closure and justice for the family. So who yeah. cares who, who, who solves this case? You know, and that became a thing with some, you know, ex FBI, agents. all, oh, this is an FBI case. And, and I kind of set that straight too. and a couple of things like there is no federal nexus. Yeah, no,
2: it's jurisdiction. It's like, uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a local case. It, it, and it, it's funny if you, I, I hate to, you know, with Fry, I think Fry is like the new Churchill, you know, like the guy's unbelievable. He, he was, if you recent, the latest thing I saw was him and I hadn't seen this before, he was sitting in his office, and in the background, you could see the FBI National Academy yellow brick. So he's been to that academy. He they play him off as like this 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 uh, hillbilly who doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's he's good. He's really good.
1: He's great. And, and then, if you remember too, there was a lot of um, outcry about uh, well, the, the 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 charge of the detective in charge or the investigator in charge two only years. had like a year or so. Yeah, seven. yeah, two right, years. Right, right. And, and I said, if you if you caught that interview, I said. We're talking about an entire state that had 41 homicides in right. the entire state. You're yeah. not going to find a detective that has lots of experience, right? Yeah. This is it. Baptism by fire. This is how you learn. And, you know, this guy now is going to be a rock star in the state of Idaho. Yep. And he'll be teaching at the academy. I mean, this is, this is uh, you know, this is, it, it's awesome because we know as cops, right, how things go and how things work. And when you have somebody that did something like this, this is like phenomenal beyond beyond belief. Oh, it's, it's right? It's so, tremendous.
2: It gives me the chills thinking about it, talking about it. And, right? And I love how Fry was so classy that he thanked the media. Like he could have been a guy who said, "Oh, you didn't, you doubted me." But he's so he, he's just unbelievable. He's unbelievable. Yep. He's, he's a great. He's a great representation of the police. You know the. Yep. We you know.
1: And- and I like when they do the press, presser, like how everybody was squared away too, right? The, yeah, the Mount yeah. Mountie coming yeah. in with his, his hat on, you know. Yeah, they, were a, you know they were
2: great. they were
1: great. You know, and and you oh, know, the whole thing like we've kind of gotten away with that, in, from that in the NYPD, right? Everyone's got beards and like, you know, oh no, homie, no, yeah. no I, I,
2: Joe, I'm 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 with you on the beards thing. I, I, oh. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievably bad.
1: You know, like everybody's wearing something different. It's just oh, um, I,
2: yeah. Ugh.
1: Yeah, we used to have they, the regular trousers
2: old. now they have the pants with the pot you know like but it's a nobody yeah. wears the tie you know
1: yeah well like i said um i'll I call me old school call me old-fashioned whatever i still think no beards uh i, I still think know. yeah one uniform for everybody <laughs> you yeah. know that kind of thing We when you kind of get away from that it looks like different police departments and of course some people you know don't take care of their stuff and they, they end up looking bad and we know that how good first impressions are. And that's, and that's to me is where, I mean, you look at those representatives from out there in Idaho, there wasn't one thing in there that was out of place on those guys.
2: Yeah, they yeah. were.
1: Yeah. And, and that exudes professionalism, right? So it, when you look about how did the, what's the quality of this investigation? I was just look at the people who were running it. They were like, yeah. you know, squared away, eyes dotted, T's crossed. That's the kind of thing that, yeah. um, that that you want to have represent you visually, because it all then trickles down after that.
0: A couple of weeks ago, we had no idea what was going on with the case. We had no suspects. Everyone had their own theories, and you were very vocal. That saying that they uh, shouldn't offer a re- reward, it would show desperation. Oh why yeah. Would that, right. Why would that be? Because well, Sean and I disagreed on that. Cause I'm like, let's get every tip in, and you're like, no. We're not. Why? Why were you so vocal on that? No, you were right about that, Joe. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. The Yeah, I, it got to a point where you say to yourself, "It's it's too late, right?" So, and here's where some experience kicks in, right? So, I you know, from working in the squad, working in a cold case, and then of course at the end with Crime Stoppers, and now you can see where all that ties in <clears throat> So I know how the system works, and the whole thing about the reward uh, coming too late because it was it it would have shown that desperation, and the only reason why I I, I had said that is because the media was like relentless and social media was just really awful uh, about, you know, how they were treating the people involved in this stuff. Right. Oh, yeah. oh god, You know, some of the things, I yeah, even, I, I take some of that. I, I took some of that uh, stuff too. I got people sending me stuff and saying that, um, yeah, you too don't know what the hell you're talking about. Right. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't care. You know, listen, when you, when you've been a city cop, for, you know, for over 20 years and you worked in some of these, pre you know, when people don't realize, like when they say, oh, it wasn't bad as the 90s. I was a cop in the 90s. Right? Yeah. You weren't yeah. even born yet. So <laughs> y- you have, uh, you know, you, you you get this hard shell about you uh, that you, and, and especially working with cops. Right. I mean, you better have a turtle back because they are relentless. Um, absolutely relentless. Some of them are, and some of them are actually the funniest people you'll ever meet. Because oh, no, I stop. always
2: say that, too. Yeah, the cops are the funniest people. Yeah.
1: You know, so um, but yeah, at that point, I thought it was uh, not a good idea, I, and I and I also did say too the time to come out with the reward is when they they should have put that vehicle out much sooner, right? They had that they had that white Elantra from the beginning, uh, and they 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 held on to it. I thought a little too late because I think this would have um, maybe you know cl- you know cleared up a little bit earlier. But you know what, they ran it, they did their thing. Um, and I was I was talking about the DNA from the beginning too, yeah. uh, about about how the mixtures and all these things take time, and they're going to have to get exemplars, and they're going to have to do all this stuff. And I go, this isn't like uh, you know, this isn't CSI Miami where they close a four mm-hmm. you know, quadruple homicide with thirty five minutes and three commercials. You know, I mean, this is even in New York this, City that would be tough. <laughs> yeah, and, and listen, we had a couple of quads in cold case that were still, that are still open, right? So I mean, the, wow. one thing I'll, I'll tell you about cold cases too. I was probably if I had to put a percentage number, I would say more than 75 percent of the time we know who the killer is, but we miss yeah. We're, yeah. we're missing the evidence. And yeah. that, and that's and, and I had come out publicly against um, a few in the true crime community f- for that reason, too. Like, you know, yeah, you guys will all solve this case. Right. But you you don't have to go to court. You don't yeah, have to promote, put it together. You, you don't. Yeah. Have, yeah. You don't have to have evidence. You can do whatever you want. Now you have the one. The one lady's getting sued by the professor. Oh,
2: I know. I, know. I hope she wins, too. The She's a crazy nut. That lady. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, well, I'll tell you, it doesn't look good for her, right? Because the, yeah. the first bullet in their press conference, the day or two before the arrest, they said that this professor had nothing to do with it. Yeah.
2: She kept going on and, and on.
1: Yeah, doubled down and tripled down in, in certain things. But, you know, and I try to explain, you can't accuse people. You're going to, first of all, you're going to get yourself sued. But second of all, you can get somebody hurt. Right. So I know I think it's the ex-boyfriend of one of the girls. Right. Right. Or the boy or the the boy. I should say boyfriend of the girl. Excuse me. And he's now been publicly coming out on Twitter saying, I guess, you know, I'll I'll get everybody's apologies. I guess I'll get it either in writing or uh, verbally. I'm like, yeah, don't hold your breath, kid. But they dragged a couple of people through the mud. And think about this. We as cops know that there are people out there that will try to take revenge, right? Because now they want to get their name in the paper mm-hmm. for doing this. And it's a dangerous game that people play with the with uh, with the with the social media stuff. Um, m- listen, the, the overwhelming majority of the true crime people, good people, they want to, you know, it's, it's not having fun, right? It's not, we don't want to say having fun, but they enjoy doing what they're doing. They like the thrill of the chase. They like the, to do the armchair, mm-hmm. to check the stuff. I don't have a problem with that. I only have a problem with it when they start naming names and coming up with these wild theories, right? You know, it was Professor Plum in the library with the candlestick, you know.
2: And was, making up the, the scream. And then the guy who made yeah. up the scream. that was I, I yeah. watched that one, too. I was like, oh, my God, it's crazy.
1: Well, the, you know, there's a couple of other things that are floating We won't name it because we don't want to, you know, add to this thing. But, yeah, the scream was one of them. And there's there's a, there's a new one coming out now, too, so. Oh, God. About something else. Yeah. After a while, you just kind of shake it. They have not give up, right? They have an arrest, but now it's not the guy, right? It's now the conspiracy yeah. theorists oh, yeah. are really, oh, my God. Um,
2: Joe, what do you think? But, how, how big do you think the uh, the seat, he got a, he had gotten a seatbelt summons in August? How, how big do you think that played in the track the car down? I think that, uh, you know, we're only speculating.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I think like everything else, we know how investigations go, right? You always look for that one break. You always look for yeah. that one thing. That looks pretty and, good. Yeah, it looks pretty good. And not only that, but um, if you remember in that, even that same interview, I kind of said, you know, they go start off with a close circle of friends and then just go out and see what other, you know, maybe there's another school there and, you know, that kind of whole thing. Right. So we we learn as cops. right? start off with that, throw the pebble in the lake thing and then let the thing go out, you know, start local and then start going your way out now. One thing that nobody nobody's really talking about is was, is there or was there surveillance video at the apartment complex that um, this guy lives in because that could be like really really good right if we have yeah. a picture of him coming a video of him coming out in the car because you know as well as i do there's no way he wasn't soaked in blood and all that other stuff that yeah. came out yeah
0: of. we uh we had you on for an hour and i wanted to talk about the current state of policing crime trends, so you're going to have to come on again and do it, and we're going to do it live. We have a bar in the city that gives us a private floor, but I want to talk more about your writing and your books. We have a lot of authors on. You're writing the books. You have a writing process. Is it everyday research factors, and do you enjoy that whole process?
1: I, I really enjoy it. I have like my own little thing. I, I always say I have a, like a form of ADHD, right? So I have to do this in spurts. <laughs> so I I will sit down and write twenty pages in one day, and then and I, then I won't touch it for like two or three days, that kind of thing. But now huh. I I work good with deadlines. So I have a deadline for this new book. So as soon as we're done, now I have all my computers set up. I'm ready to go. Uh, and huh. and that's and that's because I, I I work on under the I do best under pressure.
0: Do you me a favor, plug all your books, what they're about, why people should grab them and stuff.
1: Well, the the, the one book I have is The the, the uh, Criminal Investigative Function, a guide for new investigators. I just sent the fourth edition now. Yep, oh, there's the third edition. Oh, you got the, just sent oh, the, the, the
2: fourth editions out? I got yeah, it out. the
1: fourth edition. Yeah, it's, it's not out yet. It just it was sent to the publisher. So here I am, right? So this summer I spent editing the fourth edition and writing a new book, and the new book will be on cold cases. It doesn't have a name yet because I have no control over that, right? Uh, the, the publisher has. all all that control. Even when I write op-eds, I've I've written numerous ones. Uh, They they appeared in Daily News, New York Post, uh, um, USA Today. So I've I've done a lot of that too. And I always tell people, if you're interested in getting involved in doing interviews and stuff for the media, write. Write op-eds. Get yourself involved in certain things. Go back to school. Get your master's degree. Teach because that, I'll tell you something. The draw of John Jay College for media people is about ninety percent of the reason why people want to talk to me, right? right? Being a cop, ten percent. They don't. They don't really care about that because the media is interested in people who they believe are experts based on you know academic kind of stuff. Yeah. So, it, you know, and I always tell people, how do you do it? That's we could do a whole podcast show on that because I could teach any cop how to do this if they really want to. Because like you know as well as I do, there are cops out there that say, "What the hell does this guy know?" and blah 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 blah. Was I the um, the most experienced guy in the department? Hell no. Were there guys out there and girls out there with a lot more experience than I did? Yeah, I just happened to be right place at the right time. But I also learned how to work the system in my favor and how to do this. Anybody can do it.
2: Do you also need We need guys who who speak in our favor too, though. You know, like uh, everybody's speaking against the cops. You need educated guys who are speaking for us too. So that's well, you know
1: yeah. that that's part of it. We and need also, you. I. I and, and like I said, I always I always say I try to be fair, right? So when they when they do good, I'm there to do this. Uh, say, listen, nope. And if you go online and see some of the videos I had to do during the real height of the anti-cop movement, where I'm on CNN and some of these other tough things trying to handle this stuff, there's actually a favorite one I have on MSNBC where I kind of arguing with the guy, and it's just. Uh, if you know what you're talking about, you know what you're, and you know exactly what you where you come from. You know that experience is uh, invaluable, kind of. Kind of thing. Yeah.
0: The the media push of anti police and all that de- defunding stuff. You teach at John Jay, which has always been a police stronghold. It's always, you know, it's a grooming mm-hmm. thing for law enforcement stuff. Have you noticed maybe an uptick in students questioning police stuff or looking at it that way? And is that a bad thing?
1: No, I I don't really see any more of my students question policing. Than before, I don't. The fact that through even through all of this anti-cop movement and anti-cop rhetoric and all this other nonsense that you deal with, they still want to be cops, these kids. So yeah. to, to me, I think that's a stronger testament of the fact that people are, are learning to tune out uh, certain voices. And now here we are, you know, two years into this, and it's it's been disastrous everywhere this, to fund the police movement. Right. Minneapolis is trying to hire cops. All the places that were ground zero for these things. Are all struggling? Uh, Washington D.C. is now opening a new precinct after they closed things down years ago. So yeah, yeah. but they never spoke to people like myself or others that would tell you what are you doing, right? I mean, like they only went—you know—the politicians pandered to the um, the activists in this and never consulted anybody else, kind of because of the fact that this was a vote getter, and now that it is a um, a detractor, right? I mean, we saw New York State. We saw lots of change in voter habits uh you, you see how fast it's like uh, they try to distance themselves but I could tell them one thing the internet is forever <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. this is this isn't like twenty years ago where you could say something and never have to worry about it These things will haunt them uh to the to the either they change or they get thrown out of office and that's that's what they're worried about
0: ready to finish up with some quick hit questions sure. Yeah. Worst holiday meal you ever had in an RMP? Uh, I
1: had a tur- I had a turkey sandwich on Thanksgiving <laughs> that I ended up getting like uh, food poisoning for for like the like, five days afterwards. We got it from oh. like a bodega, but I figured it was Thanksgiving. I was working, let's do it, and I, I paid for it.
0: <laughs> Most famous person you ever met while working?
1: Um, actually, well, I'll say Walter Cronkite. There was a number of people. Oh, that's a but good Walter one. Oh, had, that's a yeah. One. Yeah, I have a picture. Uh, I actually took a picture with, with the sergeant at the time, and and uh, and another cop. We were on a detail in Manhattan, and uh, we noticed. But there's there's been a number of them. But I would say Walter Cronkite.
0: Favorite police show or movie?
1: Uh, favorite police show: uh, Barney Miller. Oh yeah, uh, probably probably the 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 most uh, legitimate detectives, detective detective uh, show. I mean, characters, you know, the kind of characters. I mean, that's exactly what you got. But if I had to pick a a more serious one, I'd probably say um, the first season or two of NYPD Blue.
0: Last show you binged watched. Doesn't have to be a cop show. Last show you binge
1: watched. Uh, Mandalorian. Good. The Mandalorian. Yep. I enjoyed that. That was good. I I like all that Star Wars um, Marvel stuff. I I carried that over from the kid. So, um, yeah, I still watch that stuff today.
0: And last one for me. You and I at a, at a bar in New York City. Who's the coolest person in your phone that if you text them, they would text you back?
1: <laughs> hmm.
0: Other than Mike Safoski.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I, okay, I I have one for you. I have um, I'm very good friends, acquaintance with uh, his name is Carol Cooley. Now you say who's Carol Cooley? He was the detective that arrested Ernesto Miranda. Back oh, in 1966. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, I, yeah,
2: the pictures in the book. The pictures in the book, Yeah, right? the pictures in the yeah, book. Exactly.
1: I, I speak to – actually, I just got a, a Happy New Year card from him in the mail the other day. Uh, yeah, Carol is uh, – he's one of the living legends in this country. Uh, he's, he's fallen on some health, uh, hard times, whatever. But So in regards to policing and stuff like that, he's probably the coolest. That's a good didn't answer.
2: Didn't Miranda get killed in prison? <laughs> he got killed in prison, I think, right? Didn't?
1: No, he got, he got, he got killed when outside? he was released. Yeah, 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 he got into a bar fight. And the guy yeah, stabbed him yeah. to death. And nobody wanted to talk to the police because of the Miranda warnings. Right, right, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's an irony is. for you, right?
0: Sean, sure, you want to do any uh, finish-up questions before we do the plugs?
2: No, no, I I think I'm good. I, you know, it was great talking to you, Joe. And we really
1: appreciate it. Well, it was perfect time, timing, yeah.
2: too. It was perfect timing with the arrest of the, yeah. the Idaho guy. And it was great.
1: Yeah, it was- no, it was good. Like I said, I had a busy media week. And then um, this week, I think it'll be the same thing once this guy gets back to Idaho. And people, just another quick thing on this Idaho thing. You know, people don't realize that the cops in, you know, the, the warden or whatever in Pennsylvania, they can't wait to get rid of this guy. Oh, I know. He's a, I li- know. He's a liability. God forbid, yeah, he, could, he kills himself. Him or yeah, or kills himself. They, it, it, let's put it this way. If it was up to me, I'd be be—I'd have the judge at the tarmac at 9.01 <laughs> this morning. <Yeah.
0: laughs> Do all the plugs. Out. Give you plugs for your Twitter, your Instagram, your website, where everyone can get books. Just give the full plug. Okay.
1: Yep. Website is josephjackalone.com, and that's with uh, an A right G I A C A L O N E. dot com. Uh, my Twitter is at Joe Jackalone. Uh, my Facebook page is Joseph L. Jackalone. Um, and I have to do all these area variations because if you watch the um, the Irishman, the guy last guy seen with. Um Jimmy Hoffer is Joseph Jackalone, right? The son of Anthony Jackalone, the head of the, the head of the crime family, which I get which I get all the time. Actually they always put my picture with Anthony Jackalone on there and say the son of is now a cop. You know, I get this oh. all the time and I try to I have to tell him to take it down, right? So I, I just stop trying to do it because I get phone calls from people, you know, media people. Oh, I like to talk to you about the Irishman, you know.
0: <laughs> Listen, my like, I, absolute... I don't
1: know any Irishman. <laughs>
0: Listen, hmm. this was an absolute blast, and I mean this—we we do it from uh, in a bar in the city. So if you're ever around, we'll definitely do it live. We'll bring down Giorgio, talk about Baby Hope, do another one live, and uh, talk about—I uh, want to talk about the current state of policing, crime stats, trends you're seeing, gun violence. We'll definitely do it again.
1: Sounds like a plan. Yeah, we'll let you know when uh, when we can try to pull that off.
0: This was a blast. Good luck with your book, and uh, we'll keep in touch.
1: Thanks, Thanks Have
0: a Great time. Thank See you, guys thank you. later. Bye. <laughs>